Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Kate Faulkner. Hello, thank you for downloading today's podcast on Tuesday, October 31st. Our top story today, a candlelit vigil's been held at Canterbury Cathedral to show solidarity with victims of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. The Israeli Prime Minister has ruled out a ceasefire in Gaza and says this is a time for war. There are growing concerns about the humanitarian crisis in the territory as the fighting continues. Last night's service included members of the Jewish, Muslim and Christian communities. It was organised by Dean of Canterbury, David Monteith. I- on behalf of the cathedral organised this vigil so that we could come together as the communities of Canterbury in solidarity and in peace with the Middle East very much in mind because it's occupying so much of our hearts at this moment as we watch the terrible pictures coming from Israel and Gaza and the West Bank. A cathedral is a place that belongs to everybody And it's a place of belonging and a place where people have gathered in the worst of times and in the best of times. So we wanted to gather people and we're so divided often as society. So these gathering points are really, really important. I think we need all kinds of acts of solidarity when there is pain and death and brokenness in the world. And through coming together here in our difference, we learn what it is to live together with people who are different. It's kind of what it means to be an adult in the world, and yet we're not that good at it, because we tend to resort to being like at the playground where we want to fight rather than play. And so I think it's really important to do this. Small steps towards peace build roads towards peace. I've been to Israel and Palestine many times during my life as a priest, often taking people to visit the sites where Jesus lived. And so I can imagine these places, many of these places that are now on the news are places I've been to. And uh, I know people who live in Israel and in the West Bank. And so there's a real vivid personal sense of connection here. And I'm particularly mindful of the Anglican community in Jerusalem, in the Cathedral of St. George's, because we have a very strong sense of being connected with them. Rabbi Dan Konsherbach also attended the service. For me, it's very moving. I'm Jewish, and here we are in Canterbury, in front of Canterbury Cathedral, and we're thinking about all those who died, about Jews and Christians and Muslims, and praying for peace. We want to see peace. I'd like to see the war stop. I fear it's not going to. And I think the only solution, which is an ultimate solution, is for there to be both a Jewish state and a Palestinian state. And um, one has been working toward that for a long time, but it's very difficult. And it seems impossible now, but I think it's the only way forward. The head of the UN's Agency for Palestinian Refugees says a pause in fighting has become a matter of life and death for millions. Now on to our most read story today. Parking charges in Whitstable are set to rise by up to £2.10 an hour. Drivers using the town's busiest car parks currently pay an hourly rate as low as £1.60, but that'll soar to £3.70 under new controversial proposals. Lucy's been taking a look at the reaction. Well, as you can imagine, it's not been a popular announcement for residents, traders and visitors to Whitstable. One person on Facebook's described it as shocking and another says he's yet to find anywhere outside of London with more expensive parking charges than Canterbury City Council. A local restaurant owner has also raised concerns about the price hike. Mehmet Dari says if customers are going to stay with us for three hours, parking will be more than £10 
£1,000 plus the meal. It will affect the business and you will see more empty shops in the high street, which is already struggling. Council bosses say they're fighting to overcome huge financial challenges and are planning to consult on their draft budget. It'll be discussed at a meeting next Monday. Kent Online News. The courts heard how a convicted child abuser from Ramsgate groomed one of his victims with cigarettes, sweets and McDonald's. Damien Cousins lured the boy to an abandoned building before assaulting him. The 49-year-old is already serving time at a prison in Buckinghamshire. He has offences dating back to 2002 and has been given a 12-year extended sentence. A man's been charged following a disturbance near Tunbridge Wells where police were allegedly spat at and threatened with a knife. Officers were called to a property on Valley Road in Rustall on Friday night. A 27-year-old was arrested. A shoplifter who repeatedly targeted supermarkets in and around Maidstone has been banned from Tesco and co-op stores across Kent for five years. The 38-year-old man was also given a suspended prison sentence after appearing in court. A woman's been arrested after allegedly kicking and spitting at police on a train in Ashford. Officers were called to reports of a naked woman who was performing an indecent act last night. She's said to have become violent when they tried to approach her. Kent Online News. Edway Council's headquarters have been closed after potentially dangerous concrete was found in the roof. The gun wharf site is completely shut due to concerns about rack, which has recently been found to be structurally unsound. Councillor Nashaba Khan says further investigations will be carried out. When did you first find out that there was rack inside of this building? So I was informed that there was rack concrete inside the building on Friday afternoon. That was following an initial survey of the building. Um, at that stage, a precautionary evacuation did take place where all staff were asked to leave Gunwolf. How long will this building be closed for? At this point, it's closed for a period of a week while we take, undertake assessments to see um, what, how much the building has been compromised, if any, um, and what the impacts of that will be. How expensive could it be if it has to be replaced? It's very difficult to say that at this stage in time because there are further works that need to be undertaken. We need to have a review of if any of the concrete has been compromised um, and the extent of what might ha- have happened within the building. So at this stage we won't have that information but we'll be able to take a proper assessment when we do. And we know that Medway Council, you are worried about the finances as it stands. This could add to the financial struggles that this council currently faces. It's always going to be challenging when you have this type of business to deal with when something comes out of the blue that acts as an emergency that you haven't planned for. So it is something that we'll have to look in detail, but obviously we have to wait and see, first of all, what the following surveys say, what the assessment says and what the financial implications are of the longer term. And then we can take a more detailed assessment of what that means. And of course, this this building isn't just home to the council, it's also home to uh, the family court. What impact is that going to have on the closure? We are in ongoing discussions with the family courts about the impact. Obviously, our primary task is to make sure that the building is safe for everybody that's using it because ultimately that is our number one priority. So we will keep all stakeholders informed as things develop and are, you know, as we get more detail because we have to ensure that the safety comes first. A man living in a block of flats in Gravesend says he's fed up with teenagers who've been breaking into the building for nearly a year. They apparently leave cigarette butts, vapes and laughing gas canisters on the staircase of the building on Palmer Avenue. The company that owned the apartments is promising to fit a more secure entry system to help residents feel safe. Plans are being put forward to bring Canterbury Market back to the high street after it was controversially axed after 700 years. 
Stall holders have been left to scatter across the city centre since the attraction was scrapped last year. The new Labor Lib Dem Coalition Council have proposed to bring it back and are hoping to hold a public consultation next month. Critics have slammed a proposal by Canterbury Church Diocese to fell trees in the Glebe next to a new development. The church wants to fell the trees, which are currently covered by a preservation order in order to maintain grazing land. Residents say they're making way to develop on the site. They're calling for the conservation of natural habitat. Residents in Whitstable have been left feeling frustrated after beach huts were vandalised. As many as 15 of the shacks along the Tankerton coastline were left covered in graffiti earlier this month. Locals are having to carry out their own repairs at a cost of hundreds of pounds. A cannery woman says she's being forced to wash out of a bowl and sleep on her sofa after delays with accessible housing. 59-year-old Jane Roberts claims she's been waiting nine months for a new home with a wet room after a knee operation in February. She says the council keep delaying when she might be able to move. I want to have a wet room. Like, I need a wet room because I've just come out of hospital on the 27th of February and I didn't get no help at all. Um, they turned around and told me that if they couldn't put a wet room in so they decided to move me. So I said okay and because I have difficulties in reading and writing so I had to have um, Shaq to fill in the forms and everything for me. And um, that was on January. I got my bidding number two months ago and I've always been in band A and now they've put me in band D. That's the lowest you can get. And I've got like so much health problems. It's just getting me down living yeah, here. Yeah. And all they keep saying to me, oh, we're moving next week. We're moving you next week. For the last nine months, I've not slept in my bedroom. I've been sleeping on this sofa. Washing out of a bucket. Washing out of a washing up bowl. That's so grading. Yeah. And there must be, you know, if it ain't just me, there must be other people out there doing the same thinking, oh, I'm in band D, the council are promising to move me, and they're not, they're not doing nothing. And it's so heartbreaking because I can't be doing with it. Tell us, how often have you been contacting the council? Uh, Since January. Ongoing, every day. Every day, they phone me and they go, oh, don't worry, Jane, we'll move you next week. Even the victim support people thought I was moving and I've not, I'm still here. Yeah. And the last Friday, the housing woman phoned me and said, oh, we've definitely got to get you out of here. All I'm asking is for a wet room. I'm not asking for mud. Take the bath out, because there is a wet there, and then put something else in there if you're not going to move me. I can't, I can't live on a settee. My bedroom has been packed since nine months ago. All my clothes have gone mouldy. My bed's gone mouldy. I can't afford a new bed. No. It's totally disgusting, <coughs> the way they treat me. The City Council say they're doing all they can to help her. Kent Online News. The scariest day of the year has finally arrived and Kent Online has been speaking to the community about what Halloween means to them. Lots of people agree Halloween seems to have become much more popular in the UK over the last five or ten years. Charles Eckley runs Pumpkin Moon in Maidstone. I think social media is very important in promoting it and has, has definitely helped. Um, photo opportunities of your children running in a pumpkin field is a fantastic photo op it's a great experience for them it becomes family tradition um 
and that probably is a very large thing behind it. Yes, it's it's a thing in films. We see it on the news or whatever you know ha- about Halloween. Um, but I think it's more of a colour. For me, seeing the children in the field because they get and get their wheelbarrow. They get here, get their wheelbarrow, and they're just so excited. Um, as a farmer, I think that's brilliant because they've got basically 40 acres here to run around. They are getting total fresh air. They're getting sort of a taste of the countryside. Because we grow a hundred different types here, there's every single shape, colour, size of pumpkin squash or gourds for them. Um, so I think it's you know it's really exciting for the children. I guess sort of pumpkins and a Halloween thing. It kind of starts as soon as we get first of October. Things sort of kick off. So it's r- almost running for a month, and people are getting excited and interested for you know, four weeks leading up to it. Mm. We certainly see more enthusiastic people, uh, people who come in fancy dress. Um, and people just, they seem to get more involved each year. So, I, you know, it is, you know, people are more absorbed or buying into it more. Kieran King lives in Gillingham and is known for going all out for his Halloween displays. Last year, his spider-covered house in Lower Raynham Road raised more than £3,000 for charity. This year, he's built a castle, a Hagrid outfit, and is even getting his dog involved. I've got a Malamute who's always got his head out the fence for a purpose-made hole so he can look out. Last year, he spent all Halloween looking at everyone who visited. So this year, the idea is I'm going to get a wig and a hat and stuff, staple it to the fence above the hole. I'm going to make a little bed and put like a, like a little body in it so you can be like grandma from Red Riding Hood. Everything gets reused every year. Um, and then what I do is every year I build on the previous year. Um, so it's, so the outlay and the costing isn't as great. You know, it's not as, as hard on, on the wallet. Um, but yeah, this year I've got you know some more smoke machines, more lighting. Um, I've had a few people contact me that want to come down and dress up and just, just hang around. When do you sort of start organising then and generating ideas when does when do you start thinking right let's have a think about what we I need. start thinking about it during Halloween because once everything's out and up I can then sort of relax a bit and go right so this is how this looks this year what can I do next year so the, the thoughts are already ticking over then the actual building I'd probably say June or July I start the build because I'll do it with, with the kids you know it's not a, we'll come up here we'll do a few hours one weekend you know and it's, it's something we we'll do with the kids are you raising money for Demelza again? Is yes, Demelza again. Yes, I've already been, been in contact with them. Uh, they're sending me out all like, the, the the info that they've the sheets that I can put out and stuff. Brilliant. And um, how much did you raise last year? I don't know if we. It was just a fraction of four thousand pound. Our reporter Cara Simmons has also spoken to Paul Martin, who owns the Halloween store in Tunbridge. Originally, I used to have an electrical wholesaler in South London. And we used to do a lot, we gradually built up big, quite a big business for Christmas, lights, stuff like that. So I knew there was something in seasonal offerings. Then when I, I sold that business and sort of semi-retired and then opened this, and the lad that worked with me, he was into Halloween, said we should try Halloween. I thought, well, Halloween's nothing, you know, because it was never a thing when I was a kid. And then when we sort of started doing it, you sort of realise, because everybody does Christmas. That's the trouble, everybody does Christmas now. So Christmas is quite a competitive market. Whereas Halloween is quite difficult for large retailers to do because it takes too much space away from the Christmas. So they do a bit of it, but they don't do a lot of it. So, and a lot of Halloween, you have to really understand the market. 
and know what people are looking for. So a lot of it's quite specialist, especially for the adults. It's quite easy to do the kids things, which is what most supermarkets and multiples do. But the, the more adult stuff is more specialist because you need to understand the market. And the market is very, very specialist. How many items could you tell me that you do you stock? 380. 380. 380, 400 items. Yeah. Brilliant. And, scratching this. <laughs> and um, what do the stuff range from? Just give me a few examples of things. So we stuff. do all sorts. We do everything from something like a pumpkin carving kit for stuff for a party, like tablecloths and stuff like that, to great big horror props that sort of cost five, six hundred pounds that do talk and move and all the rest of it, and everything in between. Masks, costumes little villages, scenic villages, stuff, teeth, also. The only thing we don't do is makeup. That's about literally the only thing we don't do. And for the sceptics out there, reporter Brad Harper has been on a paranormal investigation in Ashford to sort the fact from the fiction. He says it's an experience that changed him forever. You can read his full report at Kent Online. Kent Online News. Experts will gather in Kent later for a panel discussion on how to tackle climate change. The event is part of the Canterbury Festival and will explore what needs to be done locally, nationally and internationally to address the global climate emergency. Dr Carl Wright is the chair of Canterbury Climate Action Partnership. It's our annual climate action debate, which we've been doing for a number of years now in collaboration with the festival. So it's an official programme of the Canterbury Festival. And of course, coming at the time when there's huge problems about uh, climate uh, disasters, you know, heat waves, uh, storms, which is impeding, and other sort of major climate events, we, we feel it's a very relevant time to bring in the public. Um, it's going to be a, a kind of a question time debate, which is taking place at the Cathedral Lodge at 7.30pm this evening. And in terms of how we're impacted here in Kent by climate change, you know, what kind of impact is it having on our county? Well, it's had a huge impact this year. If you cast your your, your mind back, um, we had a very dry um, period as well as some wet periods, uh, and usually so. Longer term, it has all sorts of impact on our agriculture, on our industry, and on our health. You know, people sadly die, especially older people and young people, when there's these massive heat waves. And we saw a little bit of that when, when we got record temperatures. And of course, the more it's going to happen, the more we're going to be affected uh, in every sort of way. And, and long term, well, not that long term, 20, 30 years, um, you're going to see rise in sea levels in places like uh, Thanet, places like the Romney Marshes, places like uh, the Watson uh, could could well be flooded and inundated by seawater. So, so massive consequences, which has both human and economic impact uh, very, very seriously unless we do something about it. It starts at 8pm. Follow KMFM News on socials to see a picture of a huge branch that's pierced through the window of a roof of a double-decker bus. The vehicle was travelling from Maidstone towards Tunbridge Wells. Emergency recovery staff say it's a miracle no one was hurt. And a kitten's travelled more than 120 miles after climbing inside the wheel of a car in Sittingbourne. It was spotted under the vehicle in Homewood Avenue and ended up in the new forest. A search is underway for the owner. Kent Online Sports. Football now, and we're expecting to find out this week who will take on the role of head coach at Gillingham. Club owner Brad Gallantson says they've been meeting candidates and making decisions on who will lead the first team. It's been three weeks since Neil Harris was sacked. Some fans have criticised how long the process has taken, but Gallantson says they've been working hard to get it right. The, the reason the process has taken a while is there's there's four things that we've sort of come up with that we're looking um, to make sure our new manager has. And we've met tons 
and very, very qualified people. And we think we finally found one that has all four. Um, some had zero, some had two, some had three, but it was very important that that sort of all four hit. And so what I thought, if it's useful, is maybe kind of walk you through the, the four criteria we use. And then obviously you guys can ask questions um, what that really means. So th these aren't necessarily in any order, but um, the first one was we wanted to make sure that the manager realizes that it's the players first, not the manager first. Um, specifically cares about things like, um, are they married? Do they have children? Where do they live? What are their struggles? How can they be a better player? Do they need to be sort of arm around? Do they need to be, you know, told directly? But it's very much a player first um, organization and the manager is there to sort of lead manager, the people. Yes. Um, the second one was we wanted to make sure that the culture um, the personality of the manager fit very specifically what we're trying to build at Priestfield. So transparency, collaboration, um, communication, very open, um, sort of very group setting, very much we're one club, one vision. Um, and we all sort of happily and transparently work together, um, as well as honestly a personality that that can smile and that can joke and that can realize that this is the, the best job in the world. And we actually, in the end, want to win, but we also want to have fun doing it. Um, so we wanted to make sure that the personality and the culture of the manager really fit the kind of people that we have. Um, the third thing is the play style. We wanted to make sure that naturally the person that we appoint is above all brave, courageous, takes risks, front-footed, expansive, um and entertains and wins at the same time um so obviously sometimes you have to use direct football but but we want to build something that's just a bit more brave and courageous um and we wanted to make sure that the the manager sort of naturally thinks that way and plays that way um without even being told that's just the way they think um and then i would say the last one is i wanted the hardest working guy in the in the stadium um the manager who stays stays late because he can't stop thinking about his passion for football and formations and how we're gonna take on the next team um he's the first one to come in in the morning and he's the last one to leave because that's his personality because he loves the game and that is his life and that's what he does and he wouldn't he would do it for free he doesn't even need to be paid um that kind of guy um so those are kind of in a nutshell, the four things that sort of I paid attention to specifically to make sure we get the right guy. And if you notice, um, what's not on that list is things like what formation do they play? Um, have they coached before? Are they old? Are they young? Um, have they coached Premier League? Have they been assistant coaches? Have they Do they have League One experience, League Two experience, National League experience? To me, those things are secondary to sort of make the formula work but any of the above could work theoretically i think if you have those four things so the reason that our list has been so expansive is that we started with looking at all of the above they could be american they could be portuguese spanish french english premier league never coached before etc cetera, etc cetera. um 
And what we did is we tried to just get the best person that sort of fits those, that four criteria. Um, we actually think we found that person. So um, we would expect to have an announcement this week, next couple days. Um, and it took a long time. And I think though, because we didn't want to settle, I think we found the right person that's very exciting that will fit our club. Um, for the long term. A full announcement is expected in the coming days. And staying with football, Maidstone's Alessia Russo is in the England women's squad as they get ready to take on Belgium. It's the second of their Nations League doubleheader this evening. The Lionesses won last week's match 1-0. Kickoff is at 7.30. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get the details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.